This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and everyone. welcome everyone. We're back at the Wyoming Bow Convention again for another episode. We're glad to be here. We've been going over policy and new stuff for the year and showing off trophies and hunting and checking out all the giveaway stuff. So if you guys are uh, close or not close and you want to check out how we do some cool bow hunting out west, you need to come to Wyoming Bow Hunters Convention. So exciting stuff coming for next year. We've been uh, hanging out and chatting and we have a uh, Mr. Rick Parrish back for a uh, eagle-eared <laughs> listeners. They'll uh, <laughs> recognize him and we're glad he's here with us. Yeah, gentlemen, thanks for having me back. It's uh, great to see you again. Uh, too bad it's just once a year that we run into each other, but uh, I, I do I do hear your voices on the podcast, so <laughs> so the, you know, and uh, so that's great. Yeah, and I will tell you, your your episode was a hit. You know, I had people reaching out to me, hey, I want to talk to this guy about hunting, you know, buffalo or, or bison, you know, and, oh, I want to talk to him about kudu. It was like, all right, cool. So it was definitely a hit. Well, great. Yeah, I did actually have a couple people call me um, and uh, that had drawn tags and asked a bunch of information, and I, you know, I was willing to give them everything I knew and places to go because, you know, bull buffaloes uh, once in a lifetime and if you draw a cow tag it's you know you draw it and then you got to wait five years to put in again so uh so yeah so it was uh fun talking with those people i got to relive my hunts over while i'm you know talking to them and so that's always great yeah well you have a uh, quite the display wall out there this year and uh, explain how that that system works a little bit for for some of us well you know i tell people that you know if you walk around in the woods long enough you find some deaf dumb and blind animals and uh you know um that's just not going over uh anymore after uh you know being a member here for you know the mid 80s so um but uh, <laughs> but um no uh very fortunate uh you know, to uh, be blessed with the shooting a few nice animals this year. You know, I got a nice white tail, nice mule deer in Wyoming. Um, drew an Iowa tag, which for those who have never put in for Iowa, you know, it uh, takes uh, three to five preference points depending on what area you put in for. And, and of course, with uh, COVID, um, it seems like uh, we got a lot more people out in the field. And, uh, you know, that's good. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, everyone talks about, um, you know, it takes more points to get things. So, and then I do, I grew up in South Dakota, so I have to go back there every year. I think, uh, this last season was 33 years in a row and last, uh, last season was my 51st bow hunting season. So, um, wow. but, uh, so, so I'm happy to you know, tell you that I, I think I got at least 10 more in me. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I did notice I was talking to some people and, uh, you know, I try to stay in shape, do a lot of bike riding and, and others, you know, skiing and other sports and stuff. But I noticed that COVID did tend to slow you down a little bit. Couldn't go to the gym as much and things of that nature. So I'm trying to get back into that shape that I felt I was in three years ago. And it's darn hard. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, 
Um, you know, you did ask me a question. I guess I should go back to that, uh, David, instead of, uh, you know, uh, but... Um, you know, I, I was fortunate, I, you know, as, as I just had mentioned, you know, I um, took a, a lot of deer. And one of the reasons why I, I really concentrated on deer this year, uh, uh, you know, I live in Dayton, for those of you that, um, you know, are listening in. Uh, and then I have a son that lives in Sheridan. So we put in for an elk area together and we did not draw. Um, I blame it on him. He blames it on me, and because uh, it, it's a fifty-fifty draw, so yeah. you know it was what of you two. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we uh, um, so um, the general areas in that area don't start till the fifteenth. So I uh, I really concentrated on deer, and and I uh, was lucky enough to find a, a good little herd of mule deer that had. Uh, a couple of exceptional bucks in it. Um, there was one I watched for uh, the whole month of August, and it was funny. I saw him for nine days in a row coming out of this um, these hills and coming down to an alfalfa field. And so I had strategized how I was going to get him. And wouldn't you know it, two days before the season, never saw him again. <laughs> um, but... You know, there were there were a couple other bucks in that group that I was going to be more than happy with. And uh, so on the second night of the season, uh, I had two come by me. Um, the bigger one, of course, was about 80 yards out. Uh, the buck I did shoot, which is a Pope and Young buck, so, you know, you don't pass those up. He, he was drinking in the creek at 26 yards, and so um, I took him. What was really sort of interesting about it, um, as I was preparing to get ready for the shot on it, I felt something out of the corner of my left eye, and or I guess that's not a... Th I saw something out of the corner of my left eye, and here a mule deer doe was walking up right behind me. And so when I released that arrow, I bet you she was less than five yards from me, and I just... I, I don't know how that uh, occurred, that uh, she uh, didn't blow, but I think with my back to her, she was just curious what the heck that was uh, standing there. So anyway, um, I was in some brush and stuff, so I was somewhat hidden. But uh, I hunted that same area for whitetail, and I hunted for another, but uh, a week. I think I shot my, my whitetail buck on the ninth, and I never did see that buck again, but hmm. this buck... He was about 27 inches wide and had uh, three stickers on one side and two on the other off of the uh, G2, G3. So hopefully he made it through the season, but uh, he must have realized he just toyed with me for for August. And then when September rolls around, he was gone. So He gave you hope and then crushed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a lot of animals do. Um, I was out there standing uh, by the pictures and... Uh, I was listening to a gentleman tell another guy he had a really cool picture of a coyote eating at his bear bait with the bear standing off to the side. And he said, yeah, never saw a bear at that bait for uh, three weeks. He goes, opening day, three days in a row, that bear was there, and I got all these pictures. And then <laughs> I go ahead and check the camera and never saw him again. So, yeah, you know, it's, the, it's why it's called hunting. Those bears on those bait can be so fickle. They go from nocturnal to they're there to if they don't get something to eat, they're on somebody else's bait and they never come back. So. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and they got a great nose too, so they circle around and uh, you know, maybe one night they don't, and that's when they make the mistake and get lucky on them. But uh, one they, trick I've learned on them bear baiting barrels is drive your four wheeler all the way to the barrel and feed it, 
those bears will get accustomed to hearing a four-wheeler sound, and it's kind of like ringing, ringing a dinner bell. When you go to get dropped off as a hunter, have one of your buddies or your wife or whoever you could get drop you off on the four-wheeler, and you just climb up in the stand and have them pull yeah. away, and that bear thinks that uh, it's it's feeding time. I'm yeah. going to come in there. Yeah, that, that was a trick that I don't know if you ever, I can't remember the name of the book, but Paul Bruner from Montana, he was a big traditional hunter and he wrote a couple books on whitetails and and uh he would have the farmer drive him out to his tree stands and drop mm-hmm. him off because they were so used to that vehicle and he said the minute the truck you know was 200 yards away the deer started moving underneath of his tree stand so yeah they 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 get accustomed to that kind of stuff so but uh yeah so uh anyway i'll, I'll go back to the the whitetail that i shot um I had hunted this particular area um, the year before, too, and shot a non-typical whitetail there that had a whole bunch of brow tines and stuff. Um, I think it had five brow tines on one side and four on the other, so sort of a unique buck. And then this year there was uh, two bucks that I had picked out that I, you know, if either of them walked by me or whatever, because uh, I was, uh, I was uh, ground blind and tree stand hunting off of an alfalfa field there. And uh, anyway, uh, after a week of this deer uh, several times getting close but not close enough, uh, uh, he made the mistake of, of coming by, and I, I shot him. And, and uh, he uh, proceeded to uh, go out in the field, stand there, and then run and take off and go about 200 yards away was a neighbor's fence and go over the neighbor's fence. So of course I have to go knock on the neighbor's door and go. So uh, two years in a row that happened to me because on the other deer, the previous year, I uh, it uh, ran out in the alfalfa field also. And then the neighbor's dog come over and, and uh, just ran through the deer in the field, didn't chase the deer. But when the rest of the deer ran out of the field, cause I was back a little bit, it went over. So, so I'm getting to know the neighbor pretty good by having to go over and <laughs> Get a deer I'm back. Yeah, I'm back. And he he said I'd only be mad at you if you didn't recover it. So that that works out. But uh, maybe one of these days he might even let me hunt over there. But he he's got a pretty young son-in-law, so I I don't think so. But anyway, so so that was pretty cool. And then I did go up elk hunting, and uh, and it was you know I'd hunted it back in the '80s, but uh, now we're talking uh, you know. 30 years later and uh, getting to relearn and I spent a lot of time walking around in the woods and had a great time. I mean, the weather was really um, nice and, you know, just uh, I'd been hunting more of that open country down by uh, Wheatland to get back in the, in the forest and, and, you know, not being able to see stuff and have to learn to use your other senses of, of, uh, you know, hearing and, and, uh, and stuff like that more than uh, sight because I'm an avid glasser you know I love that's why I guess I love mule deer hunting so much is glassing them up all the time but uh, but yeah it was, uh, it, it, it was it was something different and I, I did in my first six days that I hunted um, I saw one five point bull and then it was two days left in the season I went up and uh, and got uh, got into a new area um, and uh, walked into it for, you know, I don't know, probably 45 minutes. And it was, there's a big cliff face there, and I was looking at it, and something moved underneath it. And here there was an elk standing there, and, I mean, he blended in perfect. It was, it was been a lot of moisture. And uh, 
next time I looked over there, because I was glassing other areas, it was just, it was a spike. Hell, there's four elk standing there. And I was like, where did they all come from? But uh, so it's, it was great that they appeared. Um, make a long story short, I sat there for a couple hours waiting, and they slowly worked my way and fed my way. And, uh, and uh, you, you know, my one opportunity of the year, I was, uh, I, I think, David, I was telling you yesterday, uh, I arranged it. And uh, it was right at 51 yards, and I, I practiced religiously out to 60, and and uh, and could hit a softball at 60 pretty much every time. And I've shot enough big game animals that I don't usually get too rattled. But I had a Freudian error there, man. Uh, uh, pulled up, and what did I do? Is I bracketed that 50 and 60 yard pin, and uh, that 50 yard pin was right on his back line, and that's exactly where that arrow hit. And and then to add insult to injury, that elk ran out there about 70 yards and stood there, and I bet you he barked at me for 20 minutes because he didn't know what had happened. Um, I did shave a little hair off of his back, and so I uh, gave him a little haircut, but uh, there's there's a little snow on the ground, so I got to confirm everything that it was just a, you know, a, giving him a haircut and uh, and the fact that he stood there so long, I got to watch him in the binoculars, but he had no idea where it came from, and he was just barking at the whole whole hillside there, wondering what the heck was up. But it was, <laughs> it was so yeah. So that was the first time I haven't shot an elk in a long time, but uh, but it was it was it was fun to get up, get into some new area, and uh, really enjoy just uh, just learning learning a new area again. Um, so so you uh, talk about elk barking. This year, I, uh, you know, and a, a lot of people have the stigma that when an elk barks, it's over, right? Yeah. And I would say that's true for the, the lead cow elk of the herd. If, she, if she's barking, they, they all go, right? Yeah. But I had some satellite bulls barking at us this year, and they didn't quite know what we were, right? But they caught movement or whatever, and they hadn't got our wind yet. So I barked right back at them, my bugle tube, uh-huh. and then went to raking a tree and doing some stuff, and it actually calmed that satellite bowl down and we That's got back cool. in on the herd so you know i wouldn't recommend that you do that all the time <laughs> but you know but yeah if you think the gig's up why not try something crazy you know we tried it and we i mean he it it held his attention long enough so yeah well yep yeah i mean why not try different things new tricks i mean there's some pretty wild stuff that happens out in the woods and that's what makes it so fun because it's not just the same and it's not guaranteed and and but yet you know at the end of the day um you know you got to spend a whole day out in that you know loving what you do and that's great yeah you mentioned the uh, uh farmer dropping you off in their truck right there those deer are used to that irrigation truck driving up and down that ditch every day and you come <laughs> driving down in your new diesel or whatever <laughs> they know the gigs up so you know that's one piece of advice i've heard before is get a ride out there in in the farmer's old truck yeah yep so you know you've done a lot of different things in your time you know you said what 51 years now of bow hunting mm -hmm. well david's gonna go do something kind of new and i kind of wanted to pick your brain on it because you spent some time in africa and david's gonna go back and he's gonna go after a cape buffalo so you know what would be some things that you would tell david prior to his hunt to prepare and maybe some things to think about while he's there so uh where i guess david where are you going and uh and how are you hunting it so i've booked a safari with dries weiser in mm -hmm. limpopo province of south africa and they have you know they do they've been doing bow hunts since the 80s 
Dries Senior and now Dries Junior is taking over mm-hmm. the concession and I they have like fifty five thousand acres, I believe. Okay. And then they have access or leased and deeded another like twenty five thousand. So it's it's a really big concession. Yes, it is high fence. I mean, for those people that are anti high fence, but that's Africa and anywhere that there isn't high fence in Africa has poachers and lions. So, you know, yeah. that's the way it is. Yeah. You know, um yeah, that is how South Africa is, but I mean, most people just don't know how huge and expansive that, you know, 55,000 acres and stuff is. So, um, those animals are born and, you know, die there, you know, and, uh, never even realize there is a fence. Right. Yep. And, uh, the only thing that gets through those things is the warthogs will get underneath those fences and <laughs> like dikers and steam bucks and stuff can go through. So, and the so fences it, are there to keep the lions from eating the cattle. And then the ranchers realized that the wild game was worth more than the cattle. Yeah. I, I hunted in the Limpopo district the first time I went to Africa and, uh, there was, uh, people out raking the, it, it was just red earth. Um, and they'd rake it. And finally on about the second or third day I asked, I said, why are they out there raking? I thought it was just for aesthetics. No, it was to see if any of the leopards had come over the top within the boabab trees. And, and if there was a leopard in the compound, um, you know, hiding behind a building or something like that. Cause I guess they're not too friendly when they're entrapped inside of the, <laughs> the, the compound. So, um, that sort of, you know, wake you up a little bit. Things you, know? you don't think about here when you go yeah. set your wall tent up elk hunting is, yeah. oh, oh, we need to watch out for a leopard or a lion dragging yeah. you out in the well, middle of the night. Yeah, well, I guess it's no different than people putting up the electric fence for the grizzly bears in some of the areas too, yeah. So, yeah. but, so, um, so you are archery hunting it and... I am archery hunting right. Cape Buffalo spot and stock on the ground. Oh, that's that's fantastic. That should be that should just be an adrenaline rush of all adrenaline <laughs> rushes. So I'm, you know, yes, I, I'm hesitant. I get goosebumps every time I talk yeah. about it. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I've shot um, in Elan. I mean, I've never shot anything of that size or or has the bone mass. Um, other than uh, when I shot my big buffalo on the on that story, you know, and I mean. Uh, you know, a two-blade broadhead with as much weight that you can get that the arrow flies for the distances you want it to fly. And so, um, you know, and they've really come out with some really great broadheads recently that are really, really strong. Um, and so, you know, shop around till you find something there. You know, uh, you, Patrick, you asked me my advice. You know, I've never hunted Cape Buffalo. Um, I actually, when I was in the Limpopo area, and um, I also hunted over in the plains by Kimberly, um, they had some buffalo there too, so they came into the water holes when I was there. But I never, uh, never hunted them. But um, you know, um, I suppose do they have a pound limit for you? Probably seventy yeah, they, minimum. They want you to be pulling seventy, and then you know arrows. They really want to see that seven hundred grain. But I'm, uh, <laughs> I've uh, been playing around with the calculations, and what I'm going to do is maximize my momentum, and it looks like it's going to be about a six hundred and twenty-five grain arrow. And then I've ordered three different three packs of uh, single bevel, you know, two blade broadheads. Okay. And I all those I ordered in the 150 grains, and then I ordered some 50 grain uh, brass inserts. Inserts. So yeah. we're gonna play around with which broadhead flies the best, and you know we can go up and down 50 grains with that arrow. Yeah. And I'm gonna stick a luminoc on the back of that shaft. So it's, you know, and for people out there, my elk arrow or my planes game arrow or my mule deer arrow is about a 440 grain arrow flying at 300 feet a second 298 
out of a 330 foot pound a second bow at 70 pounds right yep. so it's a pretty flat but still you know lots of kinetic energy but what i'm doing is i'm actually taking and i'm maximizing maximizing my momentum that that bow isn't going to be any more efficient you know if, if you were to go from a 620 grain arrow up to a 900 grain arrow you're actually losing kinetic energy you're increasing your arc and you actually lose right at somewhere around that 700 grains i start yeah. losing momentum so you know it's not hitting any harder now there is some thought behind it that you could maybe front load that arrow a little bit and make a bad shot better but i think maximizing that momentum is going to be key not only that but making sure it's flying straight because you know if it's not flying straight you know that's that there's a loss of energy right there that you don't want. So I think that's, I think, you know, I mean, I shot traditional for a long, long time, you know, and I mean, I shot a couple moose and stuff with traditional gear and I only shot, you know, I was only shooting, you know, 58 pounds <clears throat> and, and the arrows going 182 feet per second. How many grain arrow? Uh, 435, 440, somewhere in there. And, uh, so when I jumped over to a compound after, you know, I, uh, I was shooting pretty much the same arrow weight um, and, uh, you know, shooting it at, you know, 270 feet per second. So um, I was, and, you know, I've, I've had, re you know, really good luck with uh, pass-throughs on almost everything. You know, even at 50 yards on elk, I usually pass through. But I, I'm sort of a stickler on, <laughs> I do not change equipment a lot. Um, over, I was just laughing the other day. Um, I've only had two different bows over the last 12 years, and it was Matthew's Adrenaline LD, and then I, I shoot a Prime Rival because I like longer axle-to-axles. I like bows that once you tune them, they stay tuned longer and stuff like that. And I, the biggest thing You could thing definitely me, get another bow that's hot roddy, right? But you've got to <laughs> tune it all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I like the, the peep angle too. So, so but, I mean... Um, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I went to Namibia and uh, I brought two bows and I had set one up. They had a minimum 60 pounds, not, not Namibian law, but the camp I was at. And then they want you to do a proficiency test in front of them, you know, and it's not hard. I mean, it's, they just want to make sure that you can hit, you know, something about the size of a paper plate at 20 yards in all honesty. And, uh, but we were shooting at little, you know, two-inch circles at 20 and 30 yards. And, and I shot both bows. And the guy goes, man, you shoot that black bow so much better. And that's the one I use all the time, but it's only set at 56 pounds. And so um, it was the owner of the thing. And they stay in the blind with you in Namibia, and they film you and stuff. And went out that first day and shot two animals. And then the, the second day... Um, big old Elon comes in and he weighed 2,080 pounds. And the reason why is they haul it out whole. They don't skin or they don't gut anything in the field. And so they weighed it. But I mean, it just blew right through them and you shoot them, right? You go right up the leg in Africa. And I mean, it just zipped right through it. And he goes, he turned and looked at me and said, how many pounds are you shooting? And I said, well, I don't really want to tell you. <laughs> and I said, because I'm breaking your own rules, you know, it's a 56 yeah. <laughs> pound bow. So, so again, it's that, you know, um, it's, it's that flight. So back to Patrick, you were saying, um, make sure that baby's flying straight. And I don't think you should have any problem and, uh, and have a great time, you know? So, so, so on that, like, what are some things that people would do prepping for a trip like that? Whether it be a Cape uh, Buffalo or anything else, you, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, 
so a trip to Africa is sort of interesting. I don't know how you're flying, if you're going to, um, how are you flying? So we're going to take uh, United Air and we're flying out of the East Coast and it's an 18-hour flight right into Joburg, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I know Atlanta used to have it. Uh, are you Dallas or out of Washington then or? I think we're out of New York. Oh, okay. It's It's been a, a little while because um, in the beginning, the first two times I went to uh, to London and then down to Joburg. And uh, we had that option to go through uh, Germany and I, uh, that's Frankfurt. A, Frankfurt, but that's a total 22 hour deal and yeah. the 18 hour direct is we get in their time in the evening just in time to go to bed and then they pick us up the next morning to take us out to the concession. Wow. So yeah. Hopefully get, you know, cause they're, they're exactly 12 hours backwards of us. So yep. they're going to bed when we're getting up and we're getting to bed when they, so hopefully I can try and yeah. flip flop a little yeah. bit. Now you've been to Africa before then, right? I went in 2013 to Namibia, just planes game. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so, you know, the, you know, I mean, my recommendation is always to bring a backup bow. I had a bow on my second trip that, uh, I mean, I could have just replaced it, but I had a, a rest that went bad, a drop away rest that stayed up um and uh and so you know just grab a second bow so and i'm just that kind of a guy that you know if i go to wherever i go um i always have two bows that are identical um and uh and then uh but you know you don't need many clothes when you go to africa as you're aware they wash them for you and things of that nature but i guess um you know, I've never stalked and hunted Cape Buffalo, Patrick, so I can't tell a whole lot other than just, uh, you know, um, you know, listen, listen to what your uh, guide says and, and uh, you know, especially on something like that. But I, I, I mean, I've watched lots of, you know, Ken Moody um, safaris over there. They do a lot of buffalo hunting too. And uh, they, you know, he sends out some little stuff on the bow site and stuff that you see. And, you know, it gets you all excited. I'd love to do it. I'd like to shoot one because, after shooting buffalo and you know um i i can't remember if i went to new i think i've been to newfoundland canadian moose hunting since i talked to you guys last or did i have yeah i don't think i talked to you guys about that it was a the hunt where I was on a list of uh, someone dropped out of one, and that was that was a lot of fun. So I've shot four moose, and I've shot that elon. So I've shot some rather larger game, you know. And uh, but uh, it gets in your blood. It's sort of cool to be able to take down big things with a with an arrow. So I'd like to do a Cape Buffalo, but uh, I don't know if I don't know if that's in my future. But uh, so I'm wishing you luck. So I'm going to live vicariously through you. To <laughs> well, get we one. have hired a cameraman, and we're going to put it on the YouTube channel. So if I All do right. get gored and trampled and thrown in the air and don't come back, you, you'll at least get to watch why. Yeah. Oh, man. You, you know, I, I told him he shouldn't have taken that shot. <laughs> <laughs> Yikers. You heard it here, folks. I, t- I warned you. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the bow's pretty well set and tuned, and I'm shooting you know, at least out to 60 yards with my elk arrows. Right. So, yeah. but I've been, we're building the arrows now and I'm leaving in a couple of weeks, which is probably wow, tighter that's time soon. than well, soon. Oh, like, you gotta be excited. I'm, I am ready to go. Yeah. So. Are you going to hunt anything else? Let's say you knock down a Cape Buffalo in the first couple of days. How long are you there for? Seven days. And my brother and my father are both going with as oh. kind of observers. They're going to hire their own pH and do planes game while I'm there doing the Cape Buffalo. And okay. so, we're gonna we're gonna have a good trip. We're gonna hang All out right. and go go get some critters. But yep. yeah, I agonized over broadheads and like I said, I finally just ordered 
three different companies, very reputable, and I'm not going to give which names yet. You could go research your own broadheads, but yeah. I'm going to just There's some, screw them on, shoot them, see which ones I like. Yep, yep. There's, like you say, there's, you know, there's been a real um, growth in that size, single bevel, very tough head. So, I mean, most people are like, okay, it's that one, that one, or that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I have picked the shaft, and I'm going with the uh, Gold Tip Kinetic Chaos 200 spine, and it's 11 grains an inch. It's it's a tough shaft. So. Yeah. And we're going to do about a three-inch vein, three-fetch. We'll yeah. probably use the Q2i vein. So I've kind of got the arrow built, stick mm-hmm. a Luminoc in the back. Yeah. The only, have you done any research in the brass versus a steel insert? I have not. Yeah. I, I just don't know. I just off the top of my head i was just thinking about that what's stronger you know on your insert um uh, you know on that so but uh it, it'll be i mean it'll be interesting I mean, and what yeah, i'm gonna yeah, do i mean is, i've always had good luck with brass but uh you know brass is gonna take a little more abuse than steel will yeah so yeah. there you go it's gonna be i mean it depends on the hardness of steel and some of those broadheads have issues but we're talking about the insert that's going behind it just to add some more front of center weight and there's, we could get into the science of this for months, right? Oh, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. And but if you get it flying good, stick with it and go and be confident. <laughs> it's, yeah. That's uh, that's your rule of thumb, right? Yeah. Stick with what works. Uh, yeah, that is. I mean, yeah. it, you know, most people go, you get a new bow this year. and like, well, the old one's been killing stuff. I don't know why I need to. <laughs> the, the only one that asked me that a lot is my son because he always gets my, you know, uh, when I change, he, he, get, he gets your heavy downs and he's yeah, like, Hey, yeah, I, I want to do heavy down. That's yeah, the only reason a, you're getting pushed for a new bow. Yeah. As a dad, you know, both <laughs> my sons, I've got, you know, two boys and they, uh, both have the same shoe size. Um, both wear the same pants. Uh, well, the one's a little skinnier, but he, but coats, um, ski boots, all that kind of stuff. It's always in danger. If I come home and like, where's that? <laughs> he goes well you got a new one you didn't need the old one you know so so yeah so campers trailers they all end up at one of them place so yeah well as a manufacturer yeah. i i would really you know respect it if you would hand your uh, old bow down with the bow spider to them and oh, then you okay. can get a new bow spider with your new there, bow right there you go that's there my recommendation yeah, to everybody know, out there sound <laughs> advice sound advice <laughs> it's kind of like the whole boat thing like you know you have people they worry about getting the new bow every year so Somebody has to have a new boat every year. It's like, well, the old boat caught them just fine. You know, I don't need a new boat. Yeah. I think that's just kind of the thing in the industry, no matter which, if you're in the fishing or the hunting, that's just kind of the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you you know, I was talking to you last night, Patrick, you know, I mean, like I had to get a new uh, fly rod, but then that was just because of idiotic air and falling over my, my (laughs) You did get a new boat too. Yeah, I did get a new boat. And, you know, I gave you, I gave that boat to my wife for Christmas and she said, um, you know, I think that that is not entirely mine. I said, well, <laughs> I said, uh, well, are you going to row it? And she goes, yeah, I'll row it. And then uh, we took her out and, and she rows it. Um, but, um, she tires a lot quicker than she thought. So yeah, when we go on our fishing trips, it's three quarters Kathy fishing and one quarter Rick fishing. And, and I love it because the look on her face when she gets a big brown or rainbow on, I mean, cause, um, they're powerful as, as you know, and I mean, she's holding on for dear life. My wife, you know, like five, three, uh, you know, 130 pounds, you know, and, and I know how my hand gets tired. I, I'm just sitting there laughing as she's just like, Oh my God. 
you know, both hands <laughs> on the rod. You know, I'm like, get a hold of the reel too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep it from so taking line. And so, you were showing some pictures of some very nice browns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, been fortunate. Um, it was funny when I was showing you the pictures. We went out one day on the, on the Bighorn River and, we each only caught five fish, but they're all really nice fish. And it was, I caught five browns, she caught five rainbows and we were, you know, fishing the same. It was just so weird that that's how that, that went that day. But, but none of them were as big as the one that, uh, a couple that Patrick showed me. I mean, he showed some, he, he, yeah. he's, he's got a little hidey hole there that he's really, uh, he hasn't close. even been he, sharing with me. He's so. keeping that hidey hole close to the vest there. So yeah. So those were some beautiful, uh, Browns he was showing me last night. So I don't blame him for keeping it close to the vest, but, uh, although I would take you. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I know you, you probably, you said that he's, last he's night. He's going to blindfold need, you, but okay, he will yeah, take I probably, you. I probably will. Spin, spin you around in circles three times. <laughs> Make you, know, you leave like, your phone in your truck yeah. and he'll drive you okay. the long back way. <laughs> uh, you deal, know how it is. deal. You know how it is. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know exactly. So, but yeah, so, um, best of luck over there. It's so fun. You know, the biggest thing since you've been there before, Patrick, you haven't been to Africa oh. is, you would not think it's an ingrained thing. And I may have mentioned this last time because we did talk about kudu and stuff is, is the sky. You go out and you look at the stars and you're like, where's the Big Dipper? Where's Orion's belt? You know, you are so ingrained from birth to know what the stars in the sky look like. And then it's, it's totally different. That's, that's one of the coolest things. And then since you went to Namibia, they had quite a few birds. But when you're up in the Limpopo, get an African bird book because there are so many birds there. So if you get your, you know, if you get your big bull early, uh, well, when you get your big bull early, I'm giving you the positive there vibes here. Like, there you go. Yeah, like when you get your big bull, um, <laughs> then you can go out and look at some of the birds and uh, and stuff like That'd that. And like those sand grouse that come in and they just, you'll just hear pop, 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 pop. They, they quit flying about two foot above the ground. They just plop into the sand, you know, it's, it's just, but yeah, so... So, yeah, I mean, that's what the thing you got to enjoy. The food over there, the wines. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, if anyone ever has a chance to go, um, I just really recommend, it, you know, go on a Plains game hunt or whatever. But, uh, you know, uh, you know. It's, it's not an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt here. It's not an antelope hunt. It's definitely, you know, when you're on a safari, they, you're, it's a different atmosphere and it's yep. a different. The one thing I am going to, uh, pretty much insist on last time I went, you know, the trackers came out and the, and the meat haul wagon came up and they loaded our critters up hole and off they went. And then the PH took us off somewhere else to go hunt something else and be like, no, I want to at least go back to the skinning shed and help drop it off. And, you know, cause being a DIY wilderness elk guy, right. Mm -hmm. when, when the elk hits the ground, I know that that's when the work is right. Yep. And I'm, and do it while the adrenaline's going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I'm vital in that whole process from from field to table. And in Africa, you're just not a, a key cog in that wheel, so to speak. And there was a little bit of a disconnect to come back. And it was like, so I am going to be like, well, at least we're going to see it back to the skidding shed. And yep. then they can skin it and we'll go do something else. Yep. So. Yep. But it's it's a trip. You can take your kids. You can take your wife. You can you know, take people who are non-hunters and they can, they can still have a really good hey, time. They can go birding. They can get that bird book and go look yep. at birds. Yeah. Yep. Well, I had a brother-in-law that did that the second time I went, um, but we went over by, uh, 
Kimberly, South Africa, which is more savanna with acacia trees and stuff. And it was cool, though, because there was giraffes running around, but totally different species. You know, I wanted to go after uh, a black wildebeest, and uh, um, I really wanted a gemsbuck there. And um, I don't know if I said this last time, because I, I can't remember how much I talked about Africa last time, because we talked about bison a lot, but I, um, I wanted a gemsbuck more than anything. And uh, so there was four of us. Everyone shot a gemsbuck. Two guys shot two of them. I never even had an opportunity at one. Mm. It was so strange. You know, I go to the, yeah, they, they'd have pictures. They'd come back at night and taunt me, um, especially my brother, because he wanted a great big black wildebeest, and I, I shot a monster. And uh, he, it, it was what well, was funny. He'd hunted that blind for two days, and I went there, and I shot this one. And then, yeah, I don't think, I don't, I don't th- wonder if he's forgiven me yet. But, uh, but yeah, that's just the way it is. So finally, when I went to Namibia, I finally got a Gemsbuck. So that, because uh, uh, they're just so beautiful, you know, I, I had well, them mounted. And, never judge a man till you walk, you know, a mile in his shoes. You and I are both wearing some La Sportivas. So that's, <laughs> that's another thing I like. <laughs> about Rick Parrish, right? But there you my go. first trip to Namibia, uh, I Gemsbuck, you know, Oryx and Impala were both on the list, and mm-hmm. I and the guy I went with, he shot two, and I didn't get one. Right? Oh, now I got a really nice kudu, and wife got a zebra, and we got some warthogs. So the once the Cape Buffalo is done, and we're gonna get it done early and get it on film, then I'll switch over to Plains Game, and I I'm not going with a list. I'm just gonna go enjoy sitting hunting them and you know if while we're spotting stocking well, that's why we're going in may is it's kind of their rainy season mm-hmm. the wet season so it should be quieter softer supple we can sneak around a little better and cool so you know if if the opportunity i i spent way too much time in a blind the first time we were, we were on the concession in 2013 mm-hmm. you know blind hunting is great don't get me wrong i do it here for antelope and i i love it and i advocate if you're taking a kid or a new person you know you can take them and go sit over a blind over a water hole, even rifle hunting, and you know you're going to get that kid a 25, 30 yard shot on a doe antelope, and it's a it's kind of a gimme. You can wait, you know. I, yep. I had somebody say this earlier. You can wait for that perfect body position shot, and if everything just isn't right, 15 minutes later there's going to be another antelope, yep. right? So that's yep. what is neat about blind hunting. But uh, you know, Patrick and I were talking earlier is a. I'm kind of like a Tasmanian devil when you put me on a boat or a blind. I'm like yeah. <laughs> fidgeting and twitching and I need to be, you know, I can brush blind hunt. Like, you know, you talked about hitting the edge of an alfalfa field and kind of back in against the fence. I can, cause I know I need to be still there. Right. But right. don't, don't just collar me and stick me in the corner and say, you're going to be, instead of a participant in nature, you're going to be an observer right now. And I like the participation piece. Yeah. Well, I think that's why I like hunting so many different species. Cause it's from, from stalking to observation, you know, I mean, you know, white tails in the, you know, in a tree stand and just watching the rut go crazy around you and stuff in November and all that, you know, was fun. So that was a segue into my, cause I go back to the white tail hunting you were talking about. <laughs> yeah. He drew an Iowa tag. Yeah. Drew an Iowa tag. My third one, the first two times, I'll be honest, when I went to Iowa, the first time, I, I had done a lot of research and I found through just friends and stuff, uh, father and son who were just starting to outfit. They had, uh, it was the second year of their outfitting business. The year before they had five bow hunters in, I called every one of them. They killed the deer the first day. Wow. And I was like, and the, and nice deer, you know, I mean, one forties to one sixty fives. So I went there and, uh, I, uh, 
I got a monster, you know, a grossed 183. Um, and so uh, my biggest whitetail ever. And, and then so started putting in preference points with my brother, me, and we went back. But he'd been discovered by uh, some uh, outdoor shows. And, uh, and the second time I went, it just wasn't, um, they had, I guess I'd just say that I'm trying to be politically correct in that if his attention wasn't on us when, uh, you have, uh, a a prominent outdoor show, which I'm not going to mention there in camp and stuff. And, and, you know, there was uh, me and my brother and two other guys and they'd come back and show what's what they were seeing that day, you know. And I mean, I think I went the first three days and I saw a couple little bucks and I really wanted my brother to get a nice buck and he didn't. And so I was a little bit, um, I ended up shooting a, a, a decent deer, um, but my brother never got anything. And so I just sort of got a sour taste. So this time uh, I did some more research and I went into a zone that was by one of the really good zones because I was a preference point short, and I went and and I just uh, uh, made some contacts around and found a guy that I just paid a small trespass fee, and he had three parcels of ground to hunt on, and went and did it yourself, and uh, and that I enjoyed that. Um, the only problem was was getting to the drainages and finding things because all the corn was still up. And uh, Iowa corn is like, I mean, my God, I needed a machete to get through that stuff. <laughs> it was bad, you know, and so. You know, and then because the corn was still up, you know, that's where a lot of the deer were. But uh, I went in and set on each one. I went in and set a couple tree stands and uh, and was like, first night I set, I never saw anything. The second day I set um, where two creeks come together and there's some grassy area like out in front of me. And, uh, and uh, I saw a couple small bucks and some does that come right by me. And I was really worried about where I was at because of... Um, scent swirl and stuff like that and uh then i went and uh that evening set one of my other stands and i had two nice bucks come by me um the one was i almost shot him um he had double brow tines um and uh gnarly bases and you know but he was probably only uh you know a 140 class i was like i told my wife i'm not leaving iowa till i get a nice one (laughs) Cause I had the time it's nice being retired. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, anyway, um, so I let him pass and then I set the next day in a spot that was, uh, supposed to be, the guy said, this is where I see all the deer and blah, blah, blah. And there was an old tree stand down the row from me where I put mine up and sat there that morning and night, never saw a dang deer. So, you know, so I was like, wow. So the next morning or that evening I went, um, I had to drive by where I'd set that first day where two creeks come together and there's a grass here and there's like 50 yards to the corn and it was and um lo and behold there's a combine out there and they probably did a fourth of the field and I was like well great so I went in there in the morning in the dark well they had not done down where I was at it was still standing corn down in that corner and uh got in there and Right at right when you can see it probably wasn't legal light yet. Out of the corn comes a doe just running this nice buck right on her butt. And down in the creek they went to my left, and I was like, "How big was he?" And because um, you know it, it just looked you know like he had a lot of mass and stuff. And then uh, 
I could hear him messing around over there. And out of the, about, oh, 30 minutes later, out comes that doe out, walking right out in front of me at about 25 yards. And the buck comes up right to the edge. And when I came in there, I had to come in on a dike. I don't know if you've been in the Iowa country much, and they got all of those erosion dikes and all their fields, and they're all undulating. Well, I didn't want to walk through the grass because that's where the deer were, so I walked on top of the dike, and they had come right over my scent stream earlier, but chasing like that, you know, they probably didn't even... So I'd come out, and I'd just come in straight a 90 degree right to my um, tree stand and because uh, I figured if a deer's going to go across that grass, hit the scent stream. He's going to stop and smell it. I'm going to get a shot. And instead of, you know, cutting along the trees and leave a scent stream everywhere. But anyway, so he's hung up over there with a, a branch across his chest at about 30. And the doe's sitting, you know, smelling my scent stream. I said, oh, this is going to go south here. This can't work. And anyway, she jumps over the, the trail and starts walking. And he comes out and stops at, a you know, probably about 26 yards now. And, uh, and uh, I shot, and he ran into the corn, and uh, I saw a deer running um, in into the timber in the corner, and uh, I thought it was him. So uh, I gave it about a half hour, got down, went up, couldn't find any blood where I'd shot, but where it went in the corn, I could see blood, and then I found about that much of my arrow. And uh, so I went over to where it went into... so. I was right along the edge, probably 80 yards from this fence line here, and it was a corner like this too, and that was someone else's property, the cornfield and the stuff all behind me. So in Iowa, if you leave your, if you lay your bow down, you can follow a wounded animal across. So I, I went in, I couldn't find anything, and there was brush, so I turned around right away. When I came out, saw a coyote down the hill look up at me like this, and I just stood there, and then he went down, and I could see he was tearing on something, and sure enough, as my deer just laying right down the hill, 60 yards from where he went, came out of the, and uh, I walked down there and there was this massive, heavy um, four by four. Cause I never would looked at his rack again. Once I, you know, I mean, that's just taboo not to do that. So, so that was pretty cool to, uh, and he was, oh, he was um, a monster um, weight wise too. Um, I'll have to show you a picture when we're off the air here about, I mean, it looks like he's got a, like a doll's head on this, you know, Hulk Hogan body, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. So <laughs> uh, corn fed Iowa deer, but yeah, you know, you wouldn't like think two, 300 pounds. Yeah. He was huge. Yeah. So, and you wouldn't think, you know, I brought my pack back for him because, um, I had to pack him out of there. Um, so yeah, it was three trips rear quarter and, and, uh, and all the neck meat and stuff, another rear quarter in the head and then the two fronts. Um, so yeah, you wouldn't think that you need to backpack in uh, Iowa, but you know, it was, you know, you could only park up by the grain bin up by the road, and then you had to hike way down into there. So I was glad I brought it. Um, so, yeah, so he ended up scoring just under 160 as a four-point, just real heavy. And you guys seen him out there. He's so. a heavy dice gear. Very heavy deer. Yeah. You can send me pictures. We can put them in the show notes. That way people can kind of see oh, what, okay. what he looks like. And, All right. But, yeah, that's a that's a heck of a deer. Yeah. Uh, so Super I'll, heavy. Yep, I'll do that. And so uh, – we got time to talk about the South Dakota one real quick. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. So, so I go to South Dakota every year, as I said earlier. I grew up there and and stuff. So, went back, and it's a a farm that was right next to my grandpa's. My dad was hired hand there, so um, <clears throat> lived right on that that farm. And last year was my thirty third year in a row that I had uh, been there. I'd, I'd hunted 
previous to that, but it just happened. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Uh, I, I'm not used to this uh, <laughs> radio land. This radio land I know, stuff. Right? Uh, so, so that <laughs> so noise. Yeah, so if that <laughs> annoying noise in the background was was caused by me, guys tapping the table. No, so you're apologize. Good, you're good. <laughs> so um, didn't even realize I had a nervous tick like that. No. Um, anyway, um, so. So I know this ranch pretty good and stuff and, uh, and, um, go back every year. I have a buddy from Rapid City that goes back with me. He's been hunting there 20 some years too. And, and so we always have a great time, uh, have a lot of relatives back there and stuff. So I love going back to South Dakota and, and I've taken some nice deer there and stuff, but, uh, uh, I like to decoy there because it's a lot of open. Um, so there's, cornfields up above and it's part of the snake river missouri river breaks there and so the deer go back into uh the hills and into the draws and they feed in the at night and so you can pattern them going up and down um you can pattern the does because the bucks you know they're they're going all over and they they lock up and then they're back and forth and stuff because we usually hunt uh about the the 8th through the 18th, something like that. And so they are in the lockdown period at times, but they break loose. And, and so it's um, both me and my buddy have shot good deer there. But uh, um, I have this one tree that uh, we call it the funnel draw because it does funnel a lot of deer through there. And uh, and that's the only place that uh, I mean enough that my buddy doesn't get a hunt there till after I kill a deer out of it. But he's 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 got his own places too. So it's not like I'm that mean, but... Um, I set up a decoy there the first time and I, uh, I, I was showing a picture to you guys last night where I had two different bucks and a doe standing there and uh, just the reaction of deer on a decoy is just so, so interesting. And, uh, to highlight, I mean, it's a life-size deer decoy yeah, it's that a, you've hauled a, out and set right in front of the tree stand. Yeah. It's carry light. I actually there, I only had the buck up there, but I had a doe underneath of a cedar tree to the side there that I, I sometimes put a buck and a doe up and, and, uh, so, uh, it just depends on my mood that day. So, uh, and I've killed probably five or six deer in that same spot off of a decoy right there. So, so it does work. Um, uh, that decoy has a fake leg on one side because of a buck that ran the decoy over. So, um, <laughs> yeah. are, are they, are they start humping it? Uh, the buck decoy, they'll hump a buck decoy. It's sort of a, sorry, <laughs> it's, sorry. It's, 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 it's a dominance a thing. Yeah. But so. I mean, I used one this year as well for my first year in Missouri and one of those carry light, you know, carried it. And it's, it's amazing the calming effect and mm-hmm. you know like because i obviously my sense all the way around that thing i put it out there i've got video like yours and the deer come out and hung out for an hour around the decoy yep, yep. now they were all less dominant than the decoy i had so they they didn't really posture really well but yeah yeah i i'm i wonder if that would work for an elk you know i i uh had that butt decoy um from uh montana montana and uh Yes, uh, my son has shot a bull off of that before, and and when I'm uh, when I was hunting open country, I call it flashing. You don't have to leave the decoy up; just let him bull. see it. Yeah. So if you're over the ridge, just lift it up, lift it up a couple times, and that movement. They think it's a couple elk going down a draw, and just yeah. And so they're gonna come so over yeah. And see so it. if you're out hunting in that more open country, and uh, and then. Uh, the one advice there though is get to the side 
the downwind side because that's where they're they're going to try to swing downwind. Plus, they may come in straight at it too since they saw it and they're a little more relaxed. You you don't want them coming over right on top of you. You need to be to the side to get the shot. So just a little bit uh, there, but uh, but yeah. So uh, so anyway, so I, um, I had that decoy up and uh, I was uh, sitting there and. I had a, a doe come through and come over to it. Now, just as plain doe decoy, I have not had a lot of luck with. They all the does are are maternal groups, you know, and they know everything. And they, if there's a, a weird doe in the neighborhood, they stomp. It's Nort and blah blah blah. So now, if you have a, a buck and a doe decoy up, I've never had much of that. Um, but a plain buck, they're so used to different bucks coming from different areas that they they pretty much, you know come up and either sniff it or just walk around it or whatever so but anyway uh i uh sat in there and i i look over and a doe's coming out from where the tree i'm at i can't see up or down the draw it's a big cottonwood it's all cedar to my right and open to the left and this doe comes out from below me because she's following the creek and i can't see down that way because of there's a lot of cedars in there comes out to the decoy and she's smelling it and all of a sudden i I'm, I'm looking and all of a sudden just this flash comes out and here comes the buck I shot comes running out runs up to the decoy and he stops and so I, I look at it quick and I said oh that's a nice one pull back aim just as I shoot he jumps back and the arrow sticks and he he jumps again and then he looks at the arrow and uh, the, the doe she just all she did with the shot is she went up above the decoy and she's looking down at it. So here's another beauty about a decoy. You know, was that the deer that did, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, so it gave me that second opportunity so that, uh, you know, uh, that, that buck, he's just standing there. I hurry up in a frantic thing, put another arrow on and then I shoot him. Well, the doe starts walking up the hill and after I shot him, he just did like two crow hops and was standing there. And I'm like, that looked like a good shot. What's he? Well, because the doe's calm, because there's a decoy there, and unbeknownst to me, there's another buck trailing him. Now he shows up, and the doe starts going up the hill, so he tries to follow her up and goes about 10 yards and tips over. The other buck comes in and sniffs the, the nose of the buck decoy, goes over and sniffs the dead deer, coy, dead deer and takes off with the doe up the hill, and I think he was waving thank you as he went over the top of the hill. <laughs> one, one less guy to fight, right? Two, two so, less guys. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, yeah, and that was another really nice deer just under 160. So, yeah, so, be, yeah, so my, my buddy who I hunt with, I was like, that's pretty good. One year I shoot, you know, a, a mule deer and two whitetails that, you know, are in the upper 150s, and then I get a, I got a nice whitetail, too, that had some non-typical points in, in Wyoming, and he's like, He's a great Wyoming buck. Yeah, he, he's like, ah, God. He goes, here you are. You shoot three in one year, and I've never shot a hundred and fifty inch deer. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, he, he he must be a saint that he keeps hunting with me. So, because I do give him a lot of grief too while we hunt. So that's okay. That's what you're supposed to do on hunting and fishing trips. Yeah, lots of grief. Yep, yep. <laughs> Last so. minute moose trip. Oh, um, yeah. You know, I was. Uh, I was at the Pope and Young banquet um, when I in uh, Omaha, and uh, I know Neil Summers, and we went and had a beer and had some lunch, and we were talking, and he goes, "Rick, you know what are you going to do?" And uh, you know, hunts in the future, and I said, "You know, 
I just love hunting moose. I said, and and for those of you know uh, you out there uh, that dream about an Alaskan Yukon, I couldn't say fast enough to uh, go on one of those, um, you know. And uh, I, I'd been saving for quite a few years, and I got to ten or twelve thousand dollars, and then they went from ten or twelve thousand. Now I think they're twenty four, twenty six thousand dollars for an Alaskan Yukon moose, and I would love to get one. So, um, but um, I said, you know. I'd like to go moose hunting again. And he goes, well, how much you want to spend? And I told him, and he said, well, Alberta or Newfoundland's the only thing that's left for you. And I said, well, um, if, uh, I said, if you have a cancellation hunt, that's one of the good spots. I said, I don't want to shoot a paddle, but I want to shoot it. You know, I mean, just a representative of the species. I'd like to get a Canadian moose. And, uh, so me and my wife, uh, we were going on bikes. We were avid bicyclists, and we were sitting in Bozeman, Montana, heading to go to the um, the Hiawatha Trail up in uh, Id- Montana, Idaho. Have you ever heard of that? You know, and there's that big long tunnel that you go through and stuff. You got to have. And uh, I get a call as we were sitting eating lunch, and uh, they gave me. Uh, they said, "Hey, we had this cancellation, and uh, you go in on a helicopter in Newfoundland, and and." Uh, you know, you need to get back. I said, well, can I talk to the outfitter? So I called him, and he answered. And so we talked a little bit, and I, my wife gave me the thumbs up. And so I said, okay, I'm going. And, and uh, so I think that was in, like, August, and the hunt was uh, in the uh, second week of October. And uh, so uh, flew up there, um, went, went into Deer Lake and then outfitter picked you up and, and took you up there. And, uh, we did fly in on a helicopter. The second time I've ever been in a helicopter. They are cool. Have you guys been in a helicopter? I'm supposed to in May, I'm supposed to get on a Blackhawk. So I can't wait for that. Oh, but I haven't yet. It's, it's just, uh, I mean, you know, I, the first time I ever went, I got to sit right up front with the pilot and you know what I mean? It's all glass bubble around and you feel like you're floating inside of a big old bubble. So it's, it was fun. So we flew out there, and uh, and oh my God, this guy has—he only gets two caribou tags, you know. And back in the day, woodland caribou were like what four or five thousand dollars. Now they're like—I think he had them when I went. It was eleven or twelve, and I think they're going up from there because you know they shut down Quebec Labrador and blah blah blah. So caribou nut prices are going up too. So anyway, but uh, went up and uh, saw moose every day. Um, saw one gagger um, that you know. You know, maybe a 45, 50-inch. Mine is, oh, I don't know, I think 38 and a half. He's got seven points on the side. Um, but, um, but yeah, uh, stocked in on uh, on him. He, there was two bulls and a cow and a calf, and called in the little bull a couple times, and they got suspicious and went out even farther away from camp. And uh, But uh, one of the guys there had shot... So the guys in camp, uh, me and another guy had a, car- or a moose tag. One guy had a moose and a caribou, and the other guy in camp had a caribou, and he'd shot just a stud caribou. Both of them I measured. That Both guys got their caribou, and they were both way up in Boone and Crockett. And you're a certified measure for Pope and Young. Pope and Young, so yeah. So I got a measure. You know, it's the same measuring system. In fact, the, the measuring book now is uh, by both organizations. So it's just a single book. So um, I'm going to probably do the refresher uh, course and, and become a Boone and Crockett major too. But anyway, um, so stocked in and uh, 
had a fairly long shot. It was 50 yards, but couldn't get any closer. The, the cow and calf, and they were all and they were all aware I had come around through the brush there. And first arrow was just perfect, hit right right in the bread basket. Uh, and uh, he he went away and bedded down, and I come around and put a finishing arrow in him and stuff. Uh, and it is on he, he the outfitter had a little Sony Handycam and he, he put it on YouTube. So, I mean, for those that may have said, oh, I've seen that, uh, <laughs> you know. But, uh, yeah, but the country up there is just so cool. And, I mean, I could have probably shot four or five woodland caribou. Oh, my God, there, there were some nice ones there. I'd love to go back, but I can't afford that. You know, moose hunt was, you know, two-thirds of the price of a, a caribou hunt. But uh, great country, cool um, uh, topography um, just uh, we'd go out go across a big lake in the morning on a boat and then start hunting from there um, and uh, you know uh, so you know whenever you get to go and travel and see new places and stuff you know it's it's just so much fun and and I just really enjoyed it you know um, I, uh, I, w I wish uh, I would have had a, a friend along because that's always fun to share and, and stuff and and stuff and then one of the cool things is um the one gentleman he shot a moose and uh in the evening and they come back they could not find it and uh so i went out in the morning with them and uh and uh the guide was doing something else and said he would um come out and one minute he was done with it and so i took him out and we went up there and i was looking around and i said this and that and he showed me where it was, and I started crawling through this. There's a lot of thick brush there, you know, sort of how pine trees are up real high, you know, where they get just that low matted growth. So I was crawling under there and found a blood trail and, and found it. What was sort of funny is uh, a lot of them smoke cigarettes in Newfoundland, <laughs> and there was a packet of the guide's cigarettes he had lost laying right next to some blood, and he, he couldn't find it that day, and so he... Uh, when he comes out there, he goes, when we went back to camp, we found the moose, and, and it was, you know, he, when he was walking up, we said, yeah, it's over here, we got it, and, and uh, he was, he, in the beginning, he thought I was uh, bad, that I was saying, I, I'm pretty good about blood trailing, he gave me an evil look that I, you know, trying to look, and then once I found it and showed him the blood trail and showed him what to look for on the underside of stuff, I, I was, you know, <laughs> I was, readily accepted in camp and so <laughs> so that was good but i was so happy for the guy that he found his moose and, and stuff and it fell down in a huge rock pile and was upside down you know just in a like a, a, a glacial scree pile you know so so yeah it was uh that was cool but uh, yeah enjoyed it i i love just going and see a new country and stuff you know so i bet that was cool it, it was you know and newfoundland is way out there you know if you go straight south of newfoundland you're in the middle of the atlantic ocean you most people don't realize how far out canada sticks that way and it's a big country and that's yeah you know you just just look at the difference from you know south dakota to north dakota to central wyoming to northeast wyoming right and then you start adding in Russia and South Africa and Alaska and I want to see all these places right yep and hunting the critters there is kind of secondary to just going and seeing where do they live how do they live how do they interact on the landscape yep so Patrick I know how much you like to fish mm -hmm. and you like to hunt too mm -hmm. um, how many years you've been married uh, this will be 16 well there's a 20 there's a 25 it took me to the 30th but 
I would recommend New Zealand. I want to go so bad. I mean, the fishing, you know, for, and then. <laughs> That's and, the top place I want to go. And then go in March and, and hunt red stags and that roar. I mean, I, I don't even know if we talked about red stags last time I was on, but, oh man, um, they, you know, uh, they, they roar all day long. And it's like, it sounds more like a lion roaring than anything. <laughs> and it, it's, it's just absolutely unbelievable because they're just running around all day. It's, it's, I enjoyed that so much, you know, most people yeah. are like, God, this guy's hunted everywhere. Well, I, I put in a lot what of, you extra, love. yeah, well, I put a lot of extras. I had my regular job and then I had, I put in irrigation systems for years and years and about every three years I could go do something. So that was a great agreement with my wife. Other than our 30th wedding anniversary, we got to spend into our regular savings on that because we were over there for three weeks and oh, did cool. everything she wanted to do. And then I said, if we're in If New we're going to be in New Zealand I've got in May, I got I to gotta hunt. I, yeah, and she, <laughs> she understood, and, and, and uh, it was great. So It looks like the prettiest place on the planet. That's why I want to go so bad. It's just such a gorgeous place. And, of course, the fishing is phenomenal. But, man, it's yeah. beautiful. I, I looked in a lot of rivers. I, d I didn't fish, but I looked in a lot of them and, like, oh, look at that pool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know you know how trout fishermen are. Like, oh, there, I know there's one in Very there. Very brown know. trout over there. Yeah. So, yeah, one of these days I... We went on our tenure to Costa Rica, and we really enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. And we did some fishing yeah. and, and caught some, some tuna and stuff, but New Zealand's got to happen at some point. Yep, yep. Plus, That's, they have some damn good wine there, too. Sorry about that. <laughs> this is a PG. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm definitely going. I've, I've had enough people that I know that have gone that are just like, man, you've got to go, Patrick. you got to go. You, you know, most people, what would you like to, I mean, Alaskan Yukon moose is number one that I would like to go after. But you know what, sort of as an exotic thing, the Cape buffalo is interesting, but I'd like to shoot one of those big water buffalo in Australia and yeah. then go after a rusa stag. I think that would be a great hunt, too. That would so, be interesting. Yeah. You'll, you'll have to let us know if you end up doing that. Um, do you know anyone that needs a kidney? I guess they're 45000 <laughs> on a black market. <laughs> You're willing that, to that's about the price of, of, of those two hunts together. So, Man, uh, that would be cool, though. Yeah. So I'm excited for David. I think he's going to enjoy his trip. Oh, so, yeah. 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 There better be pictures and uh, video. And, and yeah. I want so. to see him put that arrow in it. That's going to be something else. I, I mean, talk about an adrenaline rush, man. That's going to be great. It, there's even, you know, I've been practicing not not extensively on my long-range game as much, but I've really been focusing in on that 30-yard mark, mm -hmm. you know, which just making sure that every day cold bore shot, pull my bow out, make sure I'm center bag at 30, right? And I'll yep. stretch it out to 40 and then stick a couple at 20 and – I still can shoot 60 and 70 and if I want to, but I've really been focusing on that. Yeah, because, I mean, your efficiency is going to be so good at yeah. that range for penetration and stuff. I, you know, I That's a big animal. And I'm yeah. not, I, I mean, if, if I have to take a follow-up at 40, I want to be capable and mm -hmm. ready. But yeah. if we can only get into 40 and they spook, great. We'll, we'll, we'll stock until we can get into. Right. So, but, yeah. So have you seen one up close? In person, no. Never. Yeah. I just so, I've been watching videos and that was that, the one thing last so, time I wanted to do. They're so impressive. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah. So, no, I'm envious of you in that. That's a great thing. So, best of luck on that. It's yeah. uh, So, in, in the studio, and you'll have to see someday, we've got my wife's Shira. She shot in Pinedale. And then we've got my 
best bull elk, and then we've got my kudu. And so I've been looking. I'm like, well, there's a spot for a Cape buffalo right there, and that's. So yep. one of these days, when you come to come fishing with me, you'll have to come to the studio okay. and, and check it out. And I, would, I would love that, guys. Check out Bow Spider HQ and and all that. I think it would be fun. It'll it'll be a good year for that. So. Yeah. Did did you guys post something on that uh, not too long ago about the headquarters? Um, yeah. I thought I saw it. So see, mm-hmm. I do track you a little bit. That's you good. Know, so yeah. So yeah. Well, hopefully, um, yeah, that I I do make it over before. Uh, before next year that we get together again but i I also want to uh you know thank you guys very much for coming to our event and and adding to the overall event and we appreciate that and we love it so i mean a couple of the topics that fishing game and we're not going to get into them but i mean they covered some ehd they covered some cwd we covered a little bit of wolves mule deer antelope you know some of the studies that mule, or, uh, bow hunter convention or Wyoming bow hunters has been funding. You know we've mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. of the mule deer stuff, and they're asking some good questions. And we've had some good seminars here about you know just so this is a great weekend. I really do look forward to this, and you know I'm excited and the collaboration with all these agencies that are kind of here, right, and these different yeah, organizations. Yep. yep. And there's yeah. just great folks here. Like everybody that I meet is so passionate about wildlife and hunting and preserving that for the next generation. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Lots, lots of talk about conservation and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, and, and you guys have been here for a couple of years and seen where, you know, what kinds of projects we fund with our commissioner's tags and stuff and, and, you know, and, and really the, a lot of emphasis on youth and future bow hunting and, uh, and, you know, and that, that was one of the things I talked about today. You know, I've been sort of involved in some state land trade stuff. And, and I think that, the, the, uh, that we need to look at, you know, we've been trading some state lands over the years that there's been some good ones and there's been some bad ones. And uh, I think we really need to look at those as we progress into the future and look at what, you know, that we don't have any net loss of, of opportunities for people to go out and enjoy this great state of ours. Absolutely. And this is a good weekend to get together for that and kind of have some canaries in the coal mine saying, hey, this is going on in our region. Is it going on in yours? And how's this policy working in your area? Do we need to? And, and some of the guys here that make some of those decisions are at least here and willing to listen, right? Yep, yep. So this can be the grassroots for a land trade or for a feedlot issue or for a season issue or for a bow hunting specific or a hunting specific issue. Yeah, sure. Yep. So, yeah, it's great to see all the people that are brought together and it's always fun to sit down and hear about your hunts and your stories and yeah, it's, it's a wonderful time. Yeah. So well, thanks for appreciate it guys. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for sitting down with us. So before you run off, I'm going to give you one more sneak peek because we've already put it in the books. We have the cameraman recorded. And so I want to next year when we sit down and talk, uh, go into Kodiak for 13 days with my dad and brother as well in August. Wow. So we've got a couple big trips planned. You know, I, I'm envious, but I'm proud of you because, you know, um, you don't want to be when you, you never know what's going to happen to your body or whatever are things. So do it while you can. You know, and that means going out and, I mean, I go down to our park in Dayton and go fishing if I have an hour. It means going out with your kids, you know, whenever you get a chance. Just sure. enjoy the outdoors. It's there, and don't take it for granted. Fight for it, and uh, but and don't take your body for granted either. Go out there and do things while you can. I mean, all these trips and stuff I did because I wanted to do it. I didn't want to, my, you know, my grandpa was a prime example, farmer, worked his Heine off the whole time and then when his body 
You know, he had to have double hip replacement stuff. The things he he couldn't do anymore. And uh, so yeah. he lived vicariously through me. And so, so David, I'm proud of you. Do it. Do Patrick, it. keep fishing <laughs> yep. uh, every chance you get. And, uh, and then uh, hunting when you, when you, when you take a, a breather from fishing, go hunting. <laughs> I know the hunting eats into my fishing time. So I'm, I'm a little selfish about that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I love fly fishing too. So you, yeah. you know, you, so it's, it's great. So thank you guys. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you. Rick. And again, everybody, if you want to hear more of RAGCAST, you can go to ragcastoutdoors.com. You can look at last year's episode. If you haven't heard it, if you just started with the podcast and you want to hear a good one on his huge, huge bull bison from here in Wyoming, you can listen about that. And we talked about kudu and some other stuff. So you can go back and listen to that one. And I know a lot of people really enjoyed that. But uh, you can always find more of our stuff on ragcastoutdoors.com or your favorite platform. And don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and then give our sponsors some love. High Mountain Seasoning, PK Lure, and Bow Spider. Yep, and right now at pklure.com, again, use PK Pro at checkout for 15% off. So until next time.